Hey everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and I'm believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlist clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Decoded playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com slash sleep with me that's spoke.com slash sleep with me check it out uh and i'll see you in golden gate park at stowe lake bye guys finding quality denim jeans is tough and to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh almost impossible but at distilled spelled d-s-t-l-d you get like brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use a promo code FERAL and check out and get it a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super-duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I am Matt DeWire. I am Matt DeWire, and I'm recording this intro from my home. Uh, so if you hear my dog's pitter-patter of his feet, that's my dog, Charlie. He's just uh, wanting to get in on the show. Uh, the music you hear playing right there right now is Les Blanks, as always, if you listen to the show. Go to lesblanks.com, check out their other music. They're super-duper. And if you haven't listened to Conversations with Matt Dwyer before, that is what it is. I have a conversation with somebody, the less formal form of an interview and more of an organic exploration of these people's lives and what they do and our thoughts. And uh, th this episode is I talked to a Jungian psychiatrist, psychiatrist, and she's also an analyst, and uh, focusing in female development, and we go into that... And but then we you know we veer into a lot of different uh, departments of the world in this conversation, and I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I guess at the top of the show is I'm going to address some things going on in the world. I usually get right into the conversation, and but um, 
this past week in Los Angeles, there in Anaheim specifically, there has been some violence and rioting, and there was some uh, violence in, uh, against civilians by, uh, done by the hands of police officers. There's a video out there going around of a dog being released uh, into a crowd of people and attacking a woman and her child. Uh, there's been a couple uh, people killed, and of course the cops did their usual, like, well, we thought we saw a pistol in his hand. Um, which, I don't know how many more times they can use that excuse, like, you know, it's like, I thought I saw something in his hand. I mean, I've, you know, I, I see things in people's hands all the time, and I don't, like, panic and be like, oh my god, he's got a forty-five. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, he's just, he was eating a Kit Kat. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, I made that mistake. Just guy's having a Kit Kat. He's having a little snack. I thought it was a gun. He's got something in his hand. My point is, does that this this violence? I, I said something about it in a stand-up show tonight, and um, I let I I you know in my usual uh, way of comedy, I you know it was over the top and it was verbose and and I was making statements of things I wouldn't normally do in the world, uh, and that was you know sort of talking about retaliating, uh, which I'm, you know, I'm a, at my heart, I'm a pacifist and I'm not a violent person, but I'm just trying to make a point of, you know, of going back to, you know, the times of the seventies and the sixties, you know, when guys like Bobby Seal and, and these guys were, you know, standing up to the police or standing up to, to, um, the powers that be loudly and with aggression, with equal aggression as they've, and I'm not saying we need to be, acting violently in this world but i do think people need to be standing up a little bit more and there there seems to be a thing going on with uh, say this slightly younger generation or just in general with a lot of the people i know who do not like confrontation and they avoid confrontation at any means and often like i had a girlfriend who would tell me that i need to not be so angry and which is you know a valid point but if somebody got into my space or came at me aggressively I would uh, respond angrily and a lot of people say hey why don't you take the high road and why don't you be the nice guy and you know that that's their problem but it's but it, there's also a thing of where we need to set a line in I think in our society and as human beings where it's like you know and which is like with our government and with the people <laughs> I, I hope I'm articulating this well but it's like we need to say enough is enough in a lot of ways in the world. And I think there's this lackadaisical, complacent thing where people don't want, they're afraid to speak their point of view because of maybe they'll look bad or I don't know. It just, it perplexes me how more people get upset about what goes on with pop culture and get verbal about that than they do with what our politicians do. Like, Everybody's talking about how Kristen Stewart, who I don't even know who the fuck that really is, she fucks, she cheats on her boyfriend. She fucks some director. And people get all perplexed and tweet about it and write about it and say all these things when it's like, maybe we should take that energy and slightly take it off the fucking bullshit nonsense pop culture and direct that at, um, oh, I don't know, the corporations and maybe our politicians and maybe start channeling that energy and making some people be fucking accountable for what they do. And anger isn't always the best emotion, 
when it is unjustified, but being angry isn't a bad thing if it's at social injustice. And though Martin Luther King was nonviolent, there was fucking rage in what he was doing. He was an angry man, and rightfully so. The way he chose to handle it was pretty fucking awesome, and he ushered in civil rights. And, you know, it's, that's, I'm just saying, let's not fear anger anymore, and let's find positive ways to fuel our energy and cause maybe some social change instead of getting really upset about pop culture and fame and who got cast in this movie you know I don't know there's always somebody pissing and moaning about like she shouldn't be playing Batwoman and it's like really that's that's what you're getting upset about in the world that these are the things we get pissed off about you should drop to your fucking knees and thank god that that's what you have to be thankful about or upset about it's just absurd to me and it's like there's so many fucked up things going on in the world you know, people people out of college can't get fucking jobs because they've been sent overseas. Yet we 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 still hope these politicians will change things, and things will not change unless we make it happen, not the politicians, because they're never going to fucking do anything. We should be upset that this presidential election isn't going to cost. They're spending billions. Both parties are spending billions of dollars on their campaigns, on advertisements and whatnot. Shouldn't we be going, hey, where is this fucking money coming from? Oh, corporations and millionaires and billionaires who then you are going to be accountable for and thus continuing the bullshit fucking cycle in this world of the rich getting richer and the poor being pushed out more to the outskirts and not getting jobs because they're being outsourced and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What it all goes back to is we're afraid. Everybody needs to stop dealing from fear and ego and start acting and doing things. Was this preachy enough for everybody? Uh, I hope it made sense. And um, now I'm going to uh, segue into the conversation with Catherine Bainbridge, uh, which was a really one of my favorite conversations because she was... Um, we, it was informative, educational, and it was really fun and funny. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Or, I hope you enjoy it, actually. And now we're recording. Oh, and just make sure you stay right. Just, like, keep, like, you know, kind of close. I know it's okay. intimidating. I've spent 20 years in front of those things. Anyway. You look like it. Thank you. I, I don't know if that's a compliment. No, you... Like you could have your own show right now. I I'm. I should. This you fucking should. town doesn't can't get its shit together. <laughs> but I'm sitting again. I'm uh, in the back of the Shambhala Center for meditation, talking with. Now, do you prefer Catherine? Yeah. Because you're is that and Bain, well, that's Bainbridge, right? right? Yeah. I got that I mean, right. It's Catherine or Katie. Katie's sort of more. Do you like Katie? Casual. You can call me Katie. We're there. We're already casual. <laughs> uh, what are you Irish? What's what is the Catherine thing going on? There's a, but there's different. I was ca- named after Catherine Hepburn. Were you really? Mm-hmm. Same spelling. That's interesting. Mm. I I was named after no one. <laughs> That's what my parents thought of me. They just were like, like men didn't want to taint you. Anyway, but you you're one of these people which I love having on my my shindig here is that you have a variety of things you do, correct? 
Correct. I just heard, in my notes are I heard creeping in the bushes. <laughs> you might have because there's, I told you, we accommodate a homeless person. Right. He won't bother us. No, I. that's but, fine. But I can that's fight. that's probably, unless it's a bear or something, but I doubt it. It's probably Eagle Rock's a, filled with bears. Now, but you're know. also a, uh, a Jungian. Did I pronounce yeah, Jung? Because Jung, Jung, I prefer Jungian. <laughs> yeah, Jungian. Analyst. Analyst. And also, now there's a, I've read this on uh, the uh, website, uh, f- female development. Yeah. Now what is in now? Because that is, uh, I'm very interested in the ladies. No, but it's like it sounds like it. <laughs> no, does that? Uh, <laughs> that's referencing our prior. Yeah. Right. We can talk about that more later. He likes the smell of rose. Yeah. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> who, who, I, I've, I've, I'd, I'd love any of the girls who've emailed me about the show are not in Los Angeles, so it doesn't do me a lot of good. But anyway, so f- now what is exactly what goes on with female development? I keep wanting to say feminine development. Yeah. Is, there, there's, is there a difference? Well, really, I think um, analysts have different interests, you know, mm-hmm. like some analysts are kind of interested in um, birth trauma. Some analysts are interested in birth trauma creativity. is in like the trauma that happens to you as like when you're li- bo- born. So like, for example, people that had, um, you know, if their mothers died during birth or is if that they FMO? Had pill- yeah, it does. It's, it's there's that much consciousness in our brain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a car honking. It's uh, that or a reggae, really bad reggae band. <laughs> This There's is a lot I, of activity going on in the bushes. It's right now. funny that it was really quiet when we started recording <laughs> uh-huh. this, and uh-huh. then as soon as we start recording, that. But we're gonna trump. You know what? Then that's what I like too, and it's part of the environment we're in right now. So we're gonna embrace it. It's happening. It is happening. Yeah. And you do that at home. Embrace your environment, unless you live in Gary. Well, oh, <laughs> and I was born near Gary. Gary. As we discussed. Even the name of the town yeah, is awful. Gary. Like it's just Gary. Just implies like fat mopish guy oh. with like bad brown pants oh we should have a shambhala center in gary yeah i don't know anyway anyway so 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 the brain is that oh right conscious at birth is it that do you think is it that conscious before birth like when you're inside the? well i don't know i mean there are some people that that think that you know that there's that there's development but that's sort of not my you know area of expertise but yeah the people that work on birth trauma would say um like, for example, if you had an umbilical cord issue or if your mother passed away or there was some obstruction to being born, um, their theory is that when you come into um, transition in your life, you know, when things happen, when you have to transition, like the big transition is being born, that it replicates throughout, throughout later your life. life, that you have similar, um, you know, um, issues that would come up. Wow, I think because I, I I'm not I had. But that's the, definitely not my area of expertise. But area. I but I do know oh, about it. Yeah. Oh, because I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my oh neck. Oh my one. gosh! And it was. Did you? Yeah, I did. As I like to joke, though, mm. it was because I was masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but that probably. Huh. I'm a you know there's a lot of weirdness in my my past. Really? Oh yeah, a lot of violence, a lot of like I witnessed. In your family, or you switched? So there was it? violence in my family. Like f- witness like mm. brawls and stuff among the siblings, and then my father died in a very violent way that I was very fortunate to pretty much be there for. Which if this was a bar and I was trying to pick you up, I would yeah. tell the story. I want to hear it. And then I'd make 
you're gonna get hit on then. <laughs> it's my go-to. I'm wearing the rose perfume, so. <laughs> I'm if if th- we start making out, I'm gonna keep recording. I'm gonna let you know. That's that's the feminine development. <laughs> I'm gonna develop your feminist. So then, what is to not get back to get away from the, that? But uh-huh. so then, you were into feminine development, right? What exactly is is that? My um, interest in it is more came out of um, my own kind of experience being a a woman in this culture. And I grew up in a family full of men. And, um, you know, once I started becoming an analyst, or actually before that, I started reading Jung when I was um, kind of in my late teens, got turned on to Jung and started reading some of Jung's stuff. And the, the first book that I actually read, I had gone to the Jung Institute in New York City to their bookstore, and the very first book I ever bought was um, a book called The Sacred Prostitute, which was really about... Um, it doesn't sound like a psychology... That... No, it is. It's a psychology book. I know. It's it an sounds ama- like it's a Tennessee a... Williams play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend the book, but it, it really talks about... Um, how um, thousands of years of patriarchy really kind of um, took apart um, a natural kind of dignity and power in the feminine, and a lot of that included uh, sexuality, because um, with Christianity, the only feminine that existed was Mary, and Mary was a virgin. Yeah, women aren't portrayed so well in the bible they're all fuck-ups and whores right lot's wife being another fuck-up right i'm S- quoting the bible when yeah, i say no, that by that's the way okay <laughs> so i through my own um kind of experience growing up in a house full of men you know where, where i didn't really have an image of myself growing how many up, men there were well there were, i have three brothers three brothers where did you come in in the in the middle middle working what Blue collar working class. No, my no. my father was a lawyer, and he was in politics, so Ooh. he's a politician. Yeah. So th- th- with that also comes a lot of image, no? Like a oh a, yeah present presentation. Oh, completely. Yeah, he was speaker of the house. Really? Yeah. In in the United States? No. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I was like, in, I don't, no, well, in Indiana. Tip, your, your dad's Tip O'Neill. No, he's definitely not Tip <laughs> O'Neill. No, in in Indiana. So But um, that's still that's pretty big wig. Yeah, that was pretty big wig when you're a kid, um, you know, cuz the uh, uh you know, where he went to work was you know, marble and columns. I mean, you know, it was a big deal. It was sort of Greek already in that way. Um, but anyway, so he had a lot of power. I experienced him having a lot of power. I didn't experience my mother as having much power and sort of not being particularly happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, she probably would argue with me and say she was perfectly happy, but I, I didn't experience that. There was something missing and all these boys. So I, I never had a real kind of experience of myself as uh, a feminine and then in the culture I really didn't and then Jung started really um, talking about how women um, were becoming more masculinized and he calls that uh, he, you know because Jung really talks about we have these contrasexual parts of us so a woman has a man inside and a man has a woman inside and the female and the man is called the anima which means soul 
And the masculine in a woman is called the animus, which means spirit. And that Jung felt um, that women were um, losing touch with their fundamental nature as the feminine as the West became more industrialized and more production-oriented. And um, so, I mean, it's like if you've ever traveled to, have you ever been to India or Nepal? No, I, or, I would like to. Yeah, so... You know, in, when I was in, I was in Tibet and Nepal, and I actually had gone on this pilgrimage to these sacred sites of the feminine. And even though those countries are very poor, the women, you, you know, it's it's like um, they just are feminine. It's very hard to explain, and really unless you experience it directly, it's it's a non conceptual. Uh, experience. I mean, even my teachers. And uh, no, I didn't mean no, that, no, but in ahead. different feminine in a different sense than it is in our culture. Because I well, would say feminine say? in our culture yeah. is a bit more passive. So you. So that's in, interesting. So you would say it's. Why would you say it's passive? In what I way? I think. Well, I think women are um, dumber. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, maybe that's your experience, right? But dumber. No, no, but I that mean, makes like, me curious. But, but that makes me curious. Dumber in what way? No, I, I was. That was a joke. Oh. I was big. That was. I think like no, but women are are put into more of a sexual role. They're yes. meant. Do you have to? Yeah. Like I personally yeah. am not like a, a dame with a lot of makeup. Drives like, I don't find that appealing. So, but but I it, feel like that. There's a very like when, a lot of women or people say to me, "Oh, you live in L.A. with all these hot women, all those hot L.A. women." I'm like. I don't find that attractive. I feel like that is what is a sort of maybe a, a male influence. And it's like the giganto boobo, boobies, which to me, I'm like, you clearly had some kind of issues going on during breastfeeding if you love chicken. But that's it. I mean, but but that's it. And your genetic playbook being from the Midwest anyway, right? You're yeah. from the Midwest. But that's not what I find. I don't find that appealing. But I feel no, like I that's know. what our society it, it deems as feminine and a little bit like giggles and look at me like it's so it's it's an undeveloped as you asked me about feminine development uh -huh. it's an undeveloped unconscious unaware donning the mantle of what a um, male dominated culture doesn't even biologically find that attractive because what happens is that men are wounded in this culture also and then they're educated from a very early age and then they watch a lot of pornography and etc cetera, etc cetera now which is incredibly accessible and and they're educated that they're supposed to find that attractive yeah and it's like so it's completely confused i mean i think maureen dowd um, I've met her. Oh, yeah. She, you know, in her book, Are Men Really Necessary or something, she was talking about how plastic everything is and how in the world is your sort of genetic playbook supposed to be turned on by anybody when nothing's real, when your mind is wired to like this or that or the other thing. And how are you supposed to be attracted to plastic? Not to me, Maureen Dowd is a sexy mama. Like I, I think she's a sexy mama. She's a hot dame and she she's is. an uber smart. And she's single. She lives in New York. Well, you could always move. I had I did a long distance relationship with a New Yorker. Oh. That's how I met Marie I mean, Dowd, she's actually. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh but that's Yeah, and and I don't know if this is jumping subject wise, but like I read before I came over here today about these advertisements. There was a for 
uh, 15 and under, like, getting 50% or free waxing for girls. Oh, my God. Getting their parts waxed. And I'm like... And that sets up a mental... That sets up a mental mindfuckery of, like... Be, be this, be that, be this, be, be clean, and, the thing is, or, is, and be oh, young. But but that's it, and be young. Because, you know, don't... But so then it raises the question, why can't women develop in our culture? Why can't women um, become women? Why are women buying into this... Um, either Barbie doll... Now, this is largely in California, because if you go anyplace else... You know, that's not necessarily so, but we'll just speak to where we are. Um, You know, when I was 15, I didn't know what waxing was. I mean, if you would have said you have a free wax, I would have no idea what you're talking about. You would have been like, my car, I I don't have one. (laughs) Oh, if I was 18, I I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. I mean, if you said, you know, shave your legs, maybe, but I didn't know what waxing was. And certainly not what it is today, you know, which is really like... I mean, my favorite line, I have, I, I confess that my favorite movie is um, It's Complicated with Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's really funny. It was very popular with the peoples. But my favorite line is, you know, because it's her ex-husband and they have an affair. And when the first night that they sleep together, and she, you know, she's 50-something. She's in her 50s. And he says to her, you've gone native. I like it. It means <laughs> like you've stopped waxing. Right. But it's... You know, only like adult mature women would be like, that's the greatest line ever. That was the loudest car. Yeah. And that's, but also in this men wax now, like it's like, oh, you look yeah, at, like manscaping. You look at like, uh, at the, at the bar I work at, there's a, you know, remember the playgirl, uh, thing that Burt Reynolds did in the seventies. Yeah. The dude's fucking hairy. Hairy. And it's like and hot, <laughs> and, but you don't like and every like you don't men like I know Eminem is like he's always shirtless and smooth and uh-huh. like you never you always see that image of men in movies and it's mm-hmm. like it's like there's like this weird anti hair except for the beard thing that's going on. I think on. it's a compensation for it. I think it's it. it I mean, like you know, how deep do you want to go? But I, I mean. What Im- immediately comes to my imagination is, you know, what happened in Colorado. Just recently. Yeah. There's a way in which somehow in our culture we don't want to acknowledge um, kind of instincts and just kind of what's natural. Mm-hmm. And so we have deodorants and get rid of your hair and you know behave really well now i'm not condoning what he did you know what he what happened in colorado was like horrifying are you sure yeah i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure i mean i'm pretty pretty positive about that but if you looked at it like if we were a tribe right mm-hmm. and we said how like indigenous tribes would say if somebody's insane behaving insanely like that this person is a reflection of us we can't just isolate this person and say this person's crazy. This person is acting out some kind of collective insanity in us. And there's something when we deny that as a, as a culture, you know, we have all this aggression, power. I mean, our culture is, is just driven financially. You know, now this gets back into my interest in the feminine principle 
because in fairy tales, when you read a fairy tale, and a fairy tale is like a collective dream it's like not personal and in many fairy tales the queen is missing so there will be a king without a queen and if there's a king without a queen then that means the feminine principle is not in relationship to the masculine so that means relatedness is missing it means eros affection is i mean genuine i'm not talking sex i'm talking about gen genuine gentleness and a value on um connection just for connection's sake, not to get something out of the connection, but just to enjoy the value of relating and mm -hmm. of of loving each other, you know. So anyway, so my point being, so then the masculine is is um, which has its own energies, you know. Masculine energies has its own qualities, and so. Am I talking myself into a corner? Uh, no, I'm. I'm personally hanging on every word. <laughs> um, oh, do you feel like you're talking yourself? Into a corner? Well, I'm sort of like this is Are like such a big topic. Are you exploring externally? Is uh, no? No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking like. So again, going back to my question, who is this man in us? You know, who is this boy in us? that kind of aggression and, and that kind of denial of maturity, you know, like nobody's initiated, you know, men don't get initiated into being men. Women aren't initiated into being women. And as you said, it's like, get rid of all the hair. <laughs> it is. It's, I guess I never it's made weird. that connection. Into, but it is, it is sort of keeping a, and there, a, a boyish quality, whether even if you are Johnny ripped or something. And that's interesting because this is a thing that I keep, what you're saying about like, um, I guess it was keeping us children. It's like our society really em is embracing uh, I, I, adolescence. Oh. I want to say for, but but I mean like there is this like, and there used to be, and I, this is weird because I think I talked about this with Pamela as well. It's like there used to be a thing in, when you turn eighteen in this mm. our society, mm -hmm. you became a fucking you you were a man or yeah. a woman, and you fucking that's who you were now, mm -hmm. and you. But now it's like everyone's still like. I love zombies and 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 I'm still playing with video games and it's like there's an there's an element of like yeah keep your playfulness about life but there's also to me it's like hey fucking grow up man right <laughs> like, and the thing about the the thing about yeah grow up well it's is that other cultures understood that there had to be these markers of you're you're no longer this anymore and that's what an initiation did was that especially for boys, they would take the boy away from his mother and he would go with the men and they would scare the shit out of him. You know, he's like 12. They would knock his tooth out or Jesus. circumcise him or scar him. And then they, they, and then they tell him as he's standing around all these men that are naked with their testicles hanging and he's looking at himself like, you know, I don't look like that, but I want to, you know, or, he has to look to the men to how to behave. That's how a man learns how to be a man is through observing the behavior of what other men say, this is what it means to be a man. It's not just a natural thing. So then the boy gets to go back and his mother says, oh, you're my son. I want to coddle you. And he spits in her face and says, I'm no longer your son. I'm, and then he has a new name and I'm with the men. I'm now a man. And none of that happens. 
Yeah, the the, I mean, the closest initiation people have to becoming an adult in this country is turning twenty-one and getting shit-faced. Yeah, but that's not an initiation. No, it's not. But I mean, I'm saying that's, that's a, the only sort of. That's crossing. the only, and that's and that's like we're like, oh no, I'm an adult, and that's like, but that is, it's it's not. Oh, it's, it's sad. A, There's so much confusion, and then, you know, sort of getting back to the feminine is that. You know, nature made us different, and and male energy, as we know, has certain phenomenal qualities, and female energy has certain phenomenal qualities. And if you start mixing them up, like the masculine isn't really masculine, and he's not initiated as a man, and the feminine doesn't understand her own nature, so she's overly masculine, masculinized. So um, how in the world are we supposed to kind of have harmony within relationships? I study tango and the thing that I learned in tango is that, you know, um, what women do, and I did this myself until my teacher was like, stop doing this is if you're standing there with your partner and he's not doing anything, you have to wait until he makes a move. And my, you know, I'm like, come on, dude, you know, put your foot forward, like do something. <laughs> so I start like, you know, like, come on. And she says, no, you just have to wait. And I really started thinking that's really what happens in this culture is that women are kind of like, come on, you know, show me some of your masculine energy. And men are playing video games or doing whatever or and they can't quite move forward, commit to meeting feminine energy because they don't feel like they're enough in themselves as a man. It's just crazy. It's, uh, yeah. I know a lot of men who are... And I realize I'm overgeneralizing, but um, in some ways... I right. Could, uh, did, now, when did you sort of come to the realization within yourself, like, this? what, what was your awakening, I guess, or how did you... Was it... <laughs> They can't see faces. How much time do you have? Holy! It's just well because it's an inch, and because there's also that like then how do we also work towards overcoming this in us? Because I mean we are a very patriarchally. It's we're just this where this is where I plug the Shambhala Center. (laughs) No, I mean it. Right. But I mean I don't know I don't I mean I think that there are men's groups for men. You know, I mean, that was sort of really oh, for big. You were for specifically for women, you were plugging the Shambhala Center. No, for for everybody. Everybody. I mean, you were saying, you know, what do we? What do? We, I mean, I, I frankly think that Shambhala is an incredible antidote to everything that I'm talking about. But, um, um, but you know, the- it's patriarchal because that's what we know, and and there's a lot of fear of the feminine. There's, you know, the feminine is. I think Different. men, I mean, I think a lot of men overcompensate with the way they behave with women because they are actually afraid. Oh, definitely. And there is a thought, and like, I think people kind of forget that in the man, the male world of like, mm. well, you know, I'm a fucker. Mm. And it's like, mm. that's all fear. Fear. And, yeah. you know. Where he wants to be like validated as a man. I mean, yeah, I mean, and sex is kind of a, you know, it can be a great, like, oh, make you feel better about the world. For a moment. For a moment. And well, then, you... You, then you just fuck again. Come on. <laughs> you take some ecstasy and some Viagra and you keep the party going. What's wrong with you? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> I've no. never done ecstasy or Viagra. Oh, Thank that's you. good to know. But there are people who have those parties. No, and like, I know. But now, but 
Um, where the fuck were we? Well, you were sort of asking me where did I like oh, your awakening and then yeah, like, and yeah. yeah, and how does? I mean, because you're talking about a collective. I mean, that's like it. I mean, do you, because this is so part of since like Jesus times or whatever. Yeah, or even before that, it's like yeah. it's deeply in the. Oh yeah, it's deeply ingrained in our, and that's a hard. Most people. There's so many cultural things in, deeply embedded in our brains that they're hard to... Well, that's why I see my work as an analyst. I mean, Jung said what you're really treating on the couch is thousands of years of Judeo-Christian trip in people's heads. That's basically kind of what you're treating. Was was he and Freud, were they kind of atheists or what were they? no. I don't know. I I don't know about Freud. I mean, I, but I also I do. But think- I know that Jung. Like, I know in one of his final interviews, somebody said to Jung, "Do you believe in God?" And he said, "I don't believe. I know." But that's a whole other topic because <laughs> he he um wrote. He was writing at the end of his life about like answer to Job and stuff. He started really getting into talking about the dark side of God. So that's a whole other topic altogether. It's interesting, though, because it, I would say that probably, I mean, analyzing my own garbage in my brain is like it is a lot of it is based out of, you know, Catholic awfulness. And, you know, and my family, by the time it got to me and my family, it wasn't even that we never went to church and stuff. But it's just like it was surely in my mother. Right. Like you feel guilty about your body. I mean, think about it. You, you know, your body, you know, there's paradise someplace else. It's not now. We're fundamentally ashamed of our bodies. I mean, talking about this waxing, I mean, you know, there's this, as opposed to our bodies being the most amazing thing that experiences pleasure and, in all kinds of ways, and somehow that's not natural to us. Well, yeah, what? Well, no, it, it's. I mean, it's upsetting. I, it I like to call the. Uh, I think it's upsetting too. I like to call the Puritans the the original cock blockers. <laughs> they, they, yeah, you know, there's a, but but a lot of that is kind of. Um, I mean, I know that Jungians talk about it in terms of these sort of massive chunks of consciousness, and that. Prior to, um, you know, Christianity, that in Ju- you know the J- Judeo-Christian myth, you know, it was more of a, a, a goddess-based culture, and so um, Jungians talk a lot about how they don't really know what God is, but that that the God image changes that we project an image onto what we think God is. So in Paleolithic, in Paleolithic times, you know, God is like animals. You know, there's beautiful paintings of animals and uh, as the deity, and then it moves into goddess, and then you see all those, like in the Indus um, River um, parts of India, you know, these incredible female deities um, with big hips and big breasts, and it's fertile, and and you know that's what was worshipped was, and then that moved into kind of Yahweh, and then that moved into God becoming man in Christ, and that Jung was writing about that the time that we're living in now is a transformation in the God image. So the, so, and what he felt was the piece that was missing in that image was the feminine. So there's like this, this, um, within the 
quaternity, the fourth is missing. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but what he felt was missing was the feminine. And so what he felt was happening was that there would have to be this incorporation of the feminine principle in the God image, that it would incorporate both masculine and feminine. It wouldn't just be feminine. It wouldn't just be masculine. It wouldn't just be instincts or spirit, but somehow it would encompass everything. Do you, but I feel like we're, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we're getting away further away from that because it seems like at least politically and in the media, it's very Christian based and that's fear. But I think he would, I think he would say that that's fear you know, anytime that people start to get really fundamental about something and really solidify it, you know, like that's fear. So they're f afraid of things that are changing. And, and I personally... Oh, yeah, and I feel like we're definitely in a... Because especially be, like the power of the, of the white male influence is shifting greatly. Oh, that's and that's it. And then, you know, it's like... That's it's it. It's oddly mirroring like George Wallace. Rev, rev, right. You know, I couldn't get the word out. I understand. Yeah. But about things like homosexuality. Right. And, you know. It's all fear. But then on the other side, I think you have people, especially younger people, because, you know, that really care about the environment, you know, that, that want things to be different. You know, they really want... They understand that things have to change, and they do. They have to change. We can't keep, we can't continue on going the way that we're going. So I feel in my own small way, when I do work with patients, um, there's an analyst, James Hillman, who died, who's just a genius, and, you know, he really said that and the analytic room should be a cell for revolution, you know, that it really isn't just about two people kind of talking about the other person's neurotic problems, but that the person is coming in expressing the problems of the world. They're expressing without knowing it consciously what's happening in the environment, you know, what's happening in the food that they're eating. Talk about food, Inc. And, you know, the pollution. <laughs> that's really, no, but that's a really fascinating point. I'm, that's, and I think that's right. And like going back to what you said about the, the Looney Tunes dude in Colorado. Yeah. It's like, and then you all, immediately you get these reactions of the great Ted Nugent, and I say that with great facetiousness. Oh. <laughs> but cat scratch fever. Facetiously, but I mean, you know, he's a. But he's like, well, if I was there, this wouldn't have happened. It's like, really, Ted? Like you could, sh you know, how to handle a smoky room filled with a hundred or two hundred people? Well, somewhere he's so inflated, he thinks so. You know, like True. now he thinks he's a superhero. So now all the, so it's like a joke. Now, it's so, and you said inflated, which, how much of all of this is based out of ego, which seems, I mean, the entire, all, because even fear and all that, it's ego, it's like, because I'm right. reading this book by this guy whose name I can't pronounce, Krishna something, something, something. Sounds good. <laughs> he was like a, but it's all about fear and ego. Yeah. He wasn't a Hari Krishna, but he was an Indian guy who yeah. just happened to have the Krishna and then something really long name. But it's and it's all about shedding your own fear and what does fear mean? And there's like fear if there's a tiger staring at you, but the fear of like, oh, I don't want to like, oh, people are going to view me this way. And, you know, and that's what it seems like. These layers are just spinning out of control within our society. Yeah, it's true. I think it's true. But I also think that society has lost its. You know, it's like my teacher says that 
um, simplicity understands complexity. Complexity can't understand simplicity. It's like, it's really simple in some ways, you know, just even talking about masculine energy and feminine energy. At the end of the day, if you get rid of all the concepts and everything you've learned, and you know, there's like an archetypal truth from the beginning of time about masculine energy and feminine energy. And then we learn, little girls learn, this is what it means to be feminine. Little boys learn, this is what it means to be masculine. But in your heart, you know, you know what it means to be a man. There may be a wound there, like it wasn't mirrored. I don't, I didn't get it from another man, but somewhere there's an ache in me because I know I'm a man and I feel far away from it, but I know it's in there. And women feel the same way. I know I'm a woman and, and I have all these neurotic symptoms and physical symptoms and my relationships don't work. And, you know, I'm trying to help them get back to the simplicity of their true nature. Right. And what is that true nature because that is i would say very confused in in our culture well like you know but you say man and most people like john wayne right yeah well that's how you're taught though right when you're taught that that's masculine but what is masculine what is feminine then in i guess in the union world or in your well i would say you know really read myths you know read mythology read what the myths say read what fairy tales say about it because again those myths and fairy tales they're like archetypal dreams so nobody's ego made them up and what fairy tales say about the masculine is that it's very important for the masculine to be heroic that the masculine has to accomplish something and it's different in every fairy tale but he can't just be passive he has to accomplish something and there's something in the masculine that knows it needs to conquer something, accomplish something, win something, you know, slay this thing to get the maiden, you know, I have to kill this thing, not really kill this thing, but, you know, symbolically. But isn't that also, like, ego-based? Like, I got to do, or no, I mean... I don't think it's ego-based. I mean, it depends on your heart. I mean, you really have to, like, what's in your heart? I mean, you could do it from an ego place, but just, if you listen yeah. to your heart as a man, you know, you know, in your in those hours alone, in the the loneliest hours, what your heart aches for as a man, that's not your ego. You right. and only men can know in the most private hours with themselves, and and they can only know what's the obstacle to to achieving that in their life, whatever that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to become Donald Trump. I mean, maybe it means that, I, I don't know. I mean, for every man, it's really, really different. And then for women, um, I think it's hard for women to um, not feel like they need to be in control of everything because they're afraid and control their relationships and control their bodies and control their creativity. Um, A lot of how I work with women because the wisdom comes from their own dreams, you know, in myths for women, um, you know, the interesting way that women are heroic is is a lot of waiting that the masculine is active and there's a masculine active principle in a woman, but that in fairy tales, interestingly enough, the way the woman accomplishes what she needs is through 
active suffering, that the feminine is always waiting in a kind of suffering way until something changes. And that's hard in our culture. We can't accept that. And I'll say to women, you know, but I mean, it's like you get pregnant and you don't do anything. You have to wait. You have to wait nine months and then something changes. And it's very hard for women to just wait, just wait and see what your dreams say, see what the symptoms say, see what images come up about what is the best way to move forward or something like that. Now, when you said dreams, <clears throat> what do you mean, actually? Like, like when you had a dream, if I said, like if you said, oh, you know, I had this dream last night that... And, there, you, and there's always in your in in your there's always your dreams always mean something it's never like hey i no, ate some bad salmon and it's garbly gook in my brain um no i as a jungian i think your dreams always mean something i mean i know there's different different opinions in my buddhist community that some dreams are just discursive kind of nonsense as a Jungian, I don't believe that. That's not my experience of working with dreams, that dreams always mean something. And even if it's like, you know, my patients will come in and I'll say, oh, I just have this little dream. It's so stupid. And it's not stupid. So, and do, can dreams, excuse me, be literal? Like, like uh, a warning was, or something? I, was, I don't know, like. Hey, I was sucking eight dicks. Should I go suck eight dicks? <laughs> I, that no, I mean, the if, if, no, if, somebody's, if somebody's, if a man came in and said, honestly, let's look at it this way. I dreamt that I sucked eight dicks. <laughs> I, I, I would the worst say thing in the world. I, that, I, the I number, that the number eight is an incredibly important number. First of all, it's the number, if you turn it sideways, it's the symbol of infinity for starters. And you think the brain... Works on that level. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm not arguing. I, I'm just And then curious. I would probably say to the man, um, you know, you can't separate the dream from the dreamer, so I can't generalize about the meaning of the dream, but it could mean there's a lot of potency that is in this man that he needs to connect with. What what do you mean by potency? potency? If you say okay, eight dicks. Well, they're eight. They're eight. They're eight phalluses. I mean, right. that's a that's the most potent symbol for masculine energy. Okay. So if a man is okay, so here here here's a story. I'll tell you a story. There's an African story about a boy who's not developing. Okay, he's like um, just not developing, and his father says. Um, or the mother says, you know, I'm really kind of worried about my, you know, our son. He's staying a boy. He's not developing. And the father says, well, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Don't be horrified by this story. It's just sort of symbolic. But so the father takes him in the woods. They go and the father drops something and tells his son to pick it up. And the son bends over and his father fucks him in the ass. And they walk back and time goes by and the boy starts to develop. And the mother says, well, what? What did you do? And the father says, it's none of your business. Now, if you get out of like, oh my God, that's horrible. That's incest. <laughs> it's it just a, sounds like a jokey here in a bar. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's symbolic of that the boy's taken in the potency of his father. That, that, that dreams are like hieroglyphics. I mean, they're symbols. And is, you, have, you have to learn the language of them. Sometimes dreams are concrete. I mean, if you had a certain lifestyle... 
a certain particular destructive lifestyle and you came in and you said, I had a dream I sucked eight dicks. I mean, I might talk to you on a concrete level about your destructive lifestyle. You know, what's what's going on and are you being safe? I mean... Right. Now, is it symbolic... There, it, symbolism within dreams is universal or can one not have create their own symbolism it's universal Jung would say it's universal that's what an archetype is does anyone because like uh, you always hear the one like water is mother and it's like is that no because I could uh, yeah. water is, it, is that not mother if you saw a Freudian it's probably mother because everything would probably be mother it depends on the dream that's not where my mind would go See, first sometimes you hear I hear things about Freud and I'm like that dude sounded like he had a lot of hang-ups, and he was projecting a little bit. That dude had a lot of hang-ups. <laughs> but he was a man of his time, so his hang-ups were, again, an expression of the world that he lived in, you know, which was largely, profoundly repressed sexually. Yeah, because it's like I, I was reading, I think, today, and it's just like everything went back to sex. I'm like, does everything go back but to that's sex? But where, that's where Jung was um, had to split with Freud, because Jung... F- felt that everything doesn't go back to sex that actually where everything goes back to is that there's what he calls a, a kind of religious center in the psyche that's in, what can that's inter, what can you expound on that please? um that that jung felt that there was a sort of central organizing principle within the psyche that he called the self with a capital S and that the nature of that central organizing principle was spiritual in nature was uh, the, the drive was to realize who you are. I mean that it, that it went way beyond your personal problems with your mother or sex problems or, I mean, these things have to be treated in analysis, but at the end of the day, there is something innate Jung felt in us that, that wants to know why am I here? What am I doing here? What is my life about? What is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my life? What is my connection to something beyond me? What is my connection to the divine? Whatever that means to me, so, so that my a- ego is relativized, you know, that my ego isn't the center of the universe, but that my ego, this is Jungian to speak, is in service of what this larger thing wants of me in my life. And it may not be what I want. That's interesting, because would that not sound a little bit Buddhist as well to be in like the in service part? I mean, not that yeah, I mean, I think then. that I think I don't have a lot of problems between my Buddhist um, practice and studies and being did a Jungian sort of, analyst. Do they line up a little bit or I feel that they line up. I mean, there are places you could get into, you know, where they don't. But I feel on a. For me, it, it makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting because you said, and maybe this is me searching within my own world, but mm. in, I'm not, uh, I'm paraphrasing because my brain doesn't work sometimes, but like, I'm not what I want to be or where I want to be, but I'm, so the ins- did I totally fuck that up? <laughs> no, like if you came into my office and you said, you know, like, how old are you? 
24. <laughs> no. 43. No. Okay, right. And very sexy. So, very sexy. We're fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I've already begun undressing. We have masculine feminine energies at playing together. So, if so, okay, so if you came off as a 43-year-old man and you said my life isn't where I want it or I don't know where it needs to go or I mean, I would 43 is a perfect age because you've moved into midlife. What is it about, and not to interrupt, but there is something that within the 40s that I've noticed uh-huh. with a lot of my friends that are in their 40s, because I have friends of all ages, yeah. and people get really weirded out when some of them happen to be seven. That's a joke. <laughs> but everyone I know in their late 30s, mm-hmm. early 40s, there is a very transitional of like, oh, I've done not everything wrong, but it's like I've made, I've need to correct and refocus, and, re- yep. and I've definitely been that way for the last few years. Yep. Uh, and sometimes it's, I take a lot of steps backwards and sometimes, but it is, what is it, what goes on in the world in, that in these times? Well, he, Jung said that it's sort of like the sun, you know, that in the first half of your life, the sun is rising up and its function is to illuminate everything, you know, and then at some point you realize the sun comes down. It, it starts to... I.e., you're fucking dying. Well, that you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And so then he said, at that point, the sun starts to illuminate within and starting to look within and think about things as opposed to just, like, getting drunk or getting laid or, you know, wh- whatever. It doesn't really hold a lot of value anymore. And if it does, you're really arrested in your development. You know, you really need to be thinking about... Um, what's going on inside of me? What is the purpose of my being on this planet right now? You know, do I want to be in partnership? Do I want to have a family? Am I creatively fulfilling my deepest desire as a man? When you say partnership, you mean like get get yourself a lady? Yeah, or a man if you're inclined that way, you know. I mean, oh, for you, yeah, man. No, I mean, if you're a man and you want a man, I mean, Leviticus 18:22 says, "Thou shalt not lay down with a man as I would with no. a woman." <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah, you know, it's like, what's the obstacle to that, and um, is that something that you want, and that how can that enhance your life, and to you know, and, and uh, Jungian might look and see where your own relationship is to your own uh, feminine and how that is um, manifesting or reflecting in the outer world and with women do you think do you do you think that we inherently want to be as you said in partner because I, I go in phases where I'm like very on my own and I'm really comfortable with that mm. and I don't know if that's just because I got really used to it <laughs> but it no, is no it's healthy too well I think some of it is that in this culture our partners fulfill everything which is unreasonable so in other words in other cultures you know they have extended family that are around and you know we talk to our partners about everything you know we talk to them about our psychological problems about our finances you know sometimes our partners become our, our the, the bank keeper sometimes they become our and and they're they um stop that juice of feeling like they're your lover diminishes because we seems to be very because we expect each other to wear all these different hats that we can't expect our partners to wear all these different hats and still have passion there's a line in a woody allen movie that 
actually, and it wasn't a joke line, but it's in Crimes and Misdemeanors where the he's. Have you seen that film? Mm-hmm. But the 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 guy he's making the documentary about mm-hmm. says like we look into to our partner to fulfill uh, the things we did not get from our from our parents. Oh yeah, and I think there's might be a lot of truth in that there's a lot of truth in that i mean i think for everybody that that's true hopefully you end up with a partner that's able to not at the at the least of it continue on the horrible things that you felt like your parents did that they can be different in that way that they're different and so in that way it's healing but expecting our partners to reparent us is then how do you expect to continue having a passionate relationship if right. they become your parent i mean i've had relationships and, and it's like oh now it, it gets to the point where it's like you feel like my sister like or not that i ever had a sister but it like it loses its sexuality that's a tough challenge i mean it becomes like oh it just becomes this comfort and i, I think maybe i don't know well that's a it's a big topic i think especially for men because um Intimacy for men, I think a lot of men think that if that intensity that they felt initially with the passion goes away, that that they're bored or that the relationship's over, when it's really an invitation to go deeper. Because what real intimacy is... and Men might fear? Yeah, because they fear it. Because what real intimacy is, is that you're emotionally naked in the presence of another person. It's not... Intimacy isn't taking off your pants... And having sex, intimacy. Wrong. Yeah, that's an <laughs> aspect of intimacy. But real intimacy is where you allow yourself to be naked in the presence of, of another person. And that's, um, that is, I mean, that's a terrifying thing. I mean, that is definitely something I would say that I've yearned for my yeah. entire life. Yeah. But then it's like, how much of that is, um, like when you said fairy tales er- mm. earlier, m- one of my trigger thoughts is, is th- that a lot of times people want fairy tale and that's also not like happily ever after. And it's like, that doesn't, but like, you know, we get, well, this oftentimes in, in Grimm's, fa- Grimm's fairy tales are dark. Right. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, they're dark. It's, there's, I mean, it's like really dark. So it's not always happily ever after in those fairy tales. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just what Disney did. Them fuckers. Yeah. He, and he was a, he was a Nazi uh, sympathizer. He was. Yeah. You never heard that? No. And he, he was a real prick. Everybody has a shadow. A dark yeah. side. Yeah, I got a real dark one, they say. <laughs> <laughs> but I, is that bad? No. To relish in... I mean, the dark things, but it's also like from where... No. To explore those things makes it tolerable or like, I mean, my humor... Well, it's better to... to be it's better... Dark. I mean, Jung would say, looking at the shadow, it's full full with stuff to put in your power pack. It's stuff you've rejected about yourself. A power pack is... I, it just it, it elicits imagery of like, I don't know, kids or something. Yeah, it's no, it's true. I mean, it's it, because, you know, let's say as a kid, you know, you're, you are raised, um, you know, in a Catholic family or whatever where you're, you're you know, told, you know, you're not supposed to masturbate or touch your, whatever, and it's dirty. You know, all that goes into the shadow. And, you know, you've got to kind of get it out of the shadow and say, this is, this is. So then you just like masturbate on a bus and be like, no, that would be a problem. Are you sure? Yeah, that would be a little weird. I got applause once. You did? 
Yeah. You want to tell me why? <laughs> I handed everybody a 50 and told oh, them to. Oh, God. Oh. Never masturbated on a bus, by the way. I mean, some, sha- some shadow, you know, I mean, that's a whole other big topic, shadow also. But it, anyway, shadow is just stuff that we say, I'm not that, and we are, and then we project it onto other people, and um, we just really need to be aware. We do, like, I don't know, that really resonated with me when you said, like, that guy in Colorado is like Uh, he's he's mirroring the insanity and it is it's like you that is really true and I think we yeah like where there's this disconnect from reality you know we have to look as a as a culture where we have this disconnect from from reality really I mean how could we have gotten in the financial situation that we got ourselves into if we were paying attention if we were in reality Right. Now, but do, do you think... Or to the environment, or to the food that we're eating, or the obesity epidemic. I mean... But now, do you think, like, going through that, because that, that's making me think a p- lot of that is, to a degree, possibly imposed upon us by that really... But I mean, like, the obesity problem, you look at the obesity problem, yeah, people need to maybe eat some broccoli... But also, it's like the way the food is being processed now, it's like it's crammed with corn, which is going to make everybody fat, and nobody's really aware of what's going on. But that's going. my point, is that it, it's like, how, how can we... I mean, the, the image that always comes to me is like the poppy fields in The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> you know? Only seen that once. Yeah, well, rewatch it, you know, because they're trying to get to the Emerald Kingdom or whatever, and, you know, the witch puts them under a spell. They're in this poppy field, and they fall asleep. How, you know, we're responsible for what we put in our mouths. And, and yes, high fructose corn syrup, you know, is in everything. And then they know you can combine this, this, and it makes people want more of it. I think... Americans. So then are, they become addicted and they're just not educated. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Then. No, no, no. It's okay. But I do. I think Americans are lazy and they sort of have this weird trust with, like, oh, the FDA, they go, oh, they got it covered. They're, they're cool. not in reality. <laughs> they're like this boy. Like the boy is living in a, in a, Video game or something. And to a degree, and not to be over-conspiratorial or paranoid or whatever, but I think, like, it might not be a conscious but it is that exists, the the government and all this, they do this stuff, and it's like, everyone's complacent. I mean, we're in a more complacent era than ever. It's like WALL-E. That movie's amazing. It's my favorite. The fact that there's 20 minutes of absolute no talking. It's my favorite movie. It's a great movie. To be your favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. All those people up there on that spaceship floating around. They're all fat with their Slurpees and, you know, the Earth and little Wally's cleaning it up. And I was a little surprised by, I was like, I was surprised that that got made. Because it is a big kind of like, hey, look at you fat asses. <laughs> but part of it is that people, I mean, it's, it's, it's. You know, we have to ask ourselves where we want to stay asleep. Why don't we want to wake up? Why do we... Why? Yeah. That's the question. Why do we want to live in a video game? You know, there was... And I felt bad. I don't know if he was the mayor. Somebody spoke, you know, after the incident in Colorado. And he was clearly traumatized. And the man had had no sleep and was visibly, you know, in trauma. Trying to communicate about this. 
And what he said about it was, we're not going to allow something like this to happen. We're going to push back. And I thought, what is this? The army? Push back. Who are you going to push? Well, that was my point. It was like, it was a feeling response. You know, let's get back to the king and the queen. If the feminine principle was valued, he could say as a man, I'm horrified. I have nothing to say right now. I'm completely traumatized by this. But he's got to be like John Wayne and be like, we're pushing back. Pushing back? What? What are you pushing back? It's like when dipshit said, smoke them out and all that garbage. And it's like- yeah, it's like, it, see, to me, that's just an, that's more of a video game. How are they different than the boy? It's just a video game. What's really happening? Nobody- Let's go smoke them out. Let's push them back. <laughs> what? What is the world? What? What? Have some more Doritos. What? You know, he almost choked on a potato chip, and it's just like, not to wish death. Who did? There was an early phase in Bush's uh, presidency where he, oh, no, it was a pretzel. He choked on a pretzel, and I think he had to get that Heimlich maneuver, and I guess then Cheney would have been president, and we would have been really fucked. That's scary. So, Mm. and I guess, what is the, uh, the, uh, what is the difference between, like, analysis and like therapy because almost everybody I know is in therapy therapy rarely do I know people in therapy is like a band-aid that doesn't really work (laughs) that's astounding yeah it doesn't really why does it not work because it's like a band-aid it's kind of like like, well you sort of stay as a Jungian and I'm biased that's why I said therapy's like a band-aid I mean it's okay and it can help people you know have better lives or have some insight into things but real from a Jungian point of view real transformation occurs at an archetypal level it's where you go deep enough that you encounter the archetype or the the kind of um mythological force mm-hmm. that's operating in your life and at that level you find healing energies real profound healing energy energies that can help you change therapy is sort of i just i just i mean i don't think it goes deep enough so analysis is something that you know people are in multiple times a week yeah it- is there ever a point where you say, "All right, you're done," or is it? Oh yeah. Di- oh, there is. Oh yeah. You never hear that, and you know, like you watch Woody Allen movies, oh. and it just seems like everybody's well, in some therapy people, for eternity. S- I mean, and like some people, especially today, um, you know, analysis can be fifty minutes or a hundred minutes or more than that a week, where you're actually in a sacred space to go in, to 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 go in. In our cult, in, the, in our extroverted world, where you're running around and running around, and you never stop except for moments of depression, when you're alone, where you say, "What am I doing with my life?" Or I don't want it like this. Well, if you have a sacred space to drop in and ask those questions and find answers, I mean, to some people, it's the only time that they do that. So it's like a, it's almost a, a, a practice, like a spiritual kind mm-hmm. of practice. But no, I have. I mean, I'm happy when I can say to people. You know, and a lot of patients will say, um, should I come back? You know, this will be over a period. Some, sometimes, you know, a period of years, you know, should I, I'll say, you know, no, I, I think you're okay. You don't have to, I think, go go live your life. Do you think everyone should 
do it? Yes. I think everyone should do it. I think it should be mandatory. <laughs> do you know, because it's like, do you think, I mean, it's expensive usually, right? It's I expensive. I'm a starving artist. Well, we usually work with starving artists, you know. I mean, I think from an analyst point of view, if a patient comes in and they really want to work hard mm -hmm. and it's clear, you know, for whatever reason, financially, that they can't afford a full fee, um, as long as the patient comes in and really is doing the work, then that's rewarding to the analyst. And um, Have you ever had a guy... Be like, I'm in love with you? Oh, yeah. Rejection. That probably happens a lot, right? No, they keep, unfortunately, they keep it to themselves. Oh, really? Yeah. It, they'd be have much healthier like, if they just hot? came out. <laughs> have I can ever you, been? Can you say that? Well, I mean, it, it's got to be. I don't see them that way. It's, um, you know, it's hard to see somebody's being hot when they're uh, talking about their wounds, you know? Yeah. You know? I mean, plus that gets into all other kind of transference and countertransference stuff. And if they're a patient and you're thinking they're hot or, you know. Um, I mean, but I mean, if somebody's it, sexually attracted, I mean, they walk in and then well, they most, start talking Well, about most men actually what happens is when, because obviously I'm young and, you know, it's not like I'm like your 80-year-old grandma sitting across from you. I mean, it it's bound to come up if you're a healthy male. And so... I just tell men it's healthy. Most men at that point, most men, it's interesting getting back to the earlier part of the conversation, don't know what to do with those feelings or desire if they can't have sex with you. Right. So then they leave treatment. See, if you're me, you're just used to them turning you down so it doesn't even become... Oh. Ah. <laughs> oh. uh, now, that's the other thing. It's like now that you that you're a, have this knowledge in your brain. Yeah. Every do, when you are like at the grocery or whatever, you're having an interaction with people. Are you processing? No, no? I would be. I'm judging everybody. No, immediately, no. and I'm better than all of them. I, you know, unless there's like a red flag, something. So let's say I was, you know, on a date or something. I mean, I'm not. Um, I'm trying to be with that person. Just, I, I mean, I think my Buddhism helps me in that way. You know, right. I'm not drumming up a story about them. I'm just trying to be with them and listening to them and just be a human being with them. You know, if somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, and then I had this crystal meth habit for 12 years. You know, I mean... <laughs> I don't think you have to be a Jungian analyst right, to be but, like, but, I right. I mean, you know, here. it's sort of like if you were on a date and a woman said something like, oh, yeah, you know, last year, I don't know what happened. I shaved my head and got all these tattoos and, you know, started, you know, selling meth. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a shrink to be like, yeah, okay, well, thanks. You know, it was nice to meet you. I probably don't want to have another right. date with you. But but I would think like you like you see deep, might see things a little... Deeper? Yeah. Not deeper than me. I'm very insightful. A genius, probably. Um, <laughs> um, depends. I mean, I actually enjoy depth. Uh -huh. So for me, if something opens up in a deep way, it feels more meaningful to me then it has to mean something. I mean, it feels more real than mm -hmm. something that's superficial. And, you know, it's kind of like a meal. I mean, you can have a salad and then you can have something that somebody's taken a lot of time to prepare. They're both, they, they're both good food. I personally can enjoy more the food that took time to prepare. So um, I, I'm a depth junkie, frankly. 
I'm, I, you know, I look for it. I don't know if it's good or bad, but. No, I I like, uh, you know, some lipstick and some (laughs) fake boobs. (laughs) That's what I look for. You know. If you got an opinion, I probably don't want to fuck you. I know. It's It's sad. It's a real turn off. But, but, you know, that's fear. A lot of men feel that way. It's amazing how I will know men who are really intelligent, really socially conscious, Mm. yet real fucking still like, I'm like, you're like you're all liberal minded and blah 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 about this and that and this but when it comes to women you're a real fucking prick well because they're afraid of the feminine because their masculine is wounded that's why right and we're all wounded right we're all i mean okay from a buddhist point of view you would say you know uh, you know our our fundamental nature isn't our fundamental nature is perfectly pure and unflawed but on a relative level, yes, we're all wounded and we're living in a time of incredible confusion and fear. And really, that's why I said when you get down to the simplicity and you really look at masculine energy and feminine energy and you look at how they're able to dance and relate, I mean, if you just start there, you expand out and see a world that is in trouble because men and women don't know how to relate to each other. There's an enormous amount of fear going both ways. Everybody seems very afraid. Like I a mean, a lot of fear. I often meet women, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm interested." And mm-hmm. there's then there becomes fear on their part. Like I mean, it is. I can see that there's like, oh, like or they'll say like, "I have these hang-ups, and I've had a lot." Oh of them. And, yeah, yeah. And vice versa. I mean, yeah. I think I. Isn't it interesting surely... how we start out there? What do you like? I, I oh, mean, st- with our relationships. Yes, I mean, I think that you know, it's not just you that that. I, I find it fascinating that that's the place that we start. It's almost like there's so much anxiety about a misbelief in how sort of fucked up we are that we have to like cough it up to see if the person is, you know, okay with it or not, as opposed to just being two human beings that meet. Yeah, we don't do that so well in, I think, the world, period. I mean, even when you I'm, you meet people on a just a whatever there's there's a lot of fear there's a lot of fear because we really misunderstand that basically and again this gets back to shambhala you know that we're all basically good and we most of us i i would say a large percentage of us if you take away the fear we don't intend to harm other people that's not our intention. No. There's a small percentage of people that have different kind of mental illnesses or stuff like that, but it's a small percentage that want to hurt people. But the majority of the people that we meet in a given day don't set out in their day to hurt other people. And yet our society is so kind of brainwashed or under a spell that we have to be afraid of other people that we can't really genuinely connect in any in any way and so you're then you have a society of people that are really really lonely and longing to connect but only understand that they can connect based on wounds as opposed to connecting based on a fundamental trust in their own goodness about who they are and, and in the other person right you can also connect after six bourbons you definitely <laughs> well you know i, even drink I couldn't connect i'd be passed out but maybe one I'd be pretty... bourbon yeah. Well, 
we'll end on bourbon. <laughs> that was, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank is there you. anything you want to sort of just say, like, is there any, I don't know, you got a website, you got anything you need to plug? You no, want a, I a don't book, have a, I should have a website. Personal address? I, sh- I should have a website. I'll have one up eventually. And there's a little book in the works, but I can't plug it yet because it's a slow process. Well, let but, me know. But I'll let you know when and, it but comes then, together. But you also uh, help teach, you teach yes, the meditations. Yes, I do. So I would plug the Shambhala Center for sure. This is, might be two weeks in a row that we plug this place. People are going to think I'm uh, just an extended infomercial. Well, it's a great it's a great place. Um, you know, come here and escape from the madness. I mean, in some ways, it's a real antidote to everything Especially if you can't afford analysis. Well, really. when you said like anxiety and uh, and fear and yeah. it, it seems like and just and I actually haven't meditated here, mm-hmm. but I do my own things in the world, mm-hmm. and those definitely. It's just like to take twenty minutes to an hour or whatever to just mm-hmm. sit within your own stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a Jungian yeah. quote. Yeah, sit in your stuff. Sit in your stuff. Yeah. But it's like you know that just helps put things in perspective a lot more. I don't. Yeah, so sit in your stuff, everybody. Everybody, just take ten minutes and breathe, or just breathe in the car. Just watch your mind and know that you don't have to be afraid of each other. That's the thing I would plug. We don't have to be cynical. We don't have to be cynical. We can really be open and change the world by um, looking at our own minds, understanding our own stuff, not projecting it onto other people, and know that every human being wants to be happy. Everybody wants happiness. That's a good way to end. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. That was a one. If you enjoyed the show, please uh, donate. Go to the website there, and uh, you know you can donate money. Because, frankly, folks, I, I don't. I'm, you know, we got to keep this ship afloat. Um, we, we keep the website. We need to get things to talk into, microphones to record things, um, and uh, I got to pay for gas to get to people to talk to them. Uh, or if you can't donate money, if you're going to buy something on the, go to, go to my page, buy, go to, we have a link to Amazon. You could buy stuff through when you buy, go to the link, buy stuff from Amazon and we get a little kickback and that doesn't cost you anything. Also go to feralaudio.com, listen to the other shows, uh, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore DeWire and email me conversations with DeWire at gmail.com. I'm sure uh, some of my comments you might want to address. All power to the people. Thank you very much.
This outro features the music of the fancy. We are the fancy.net. United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.